Hebrews chapter 12. We'll read the text here in a moment, but I want to introduce the message this way. It was Father's Day 1999 that Ron Shannonberger jumped into the shower and told his wife to wake up their seven-month-old boy whose name was Tyler. When Ron's wife, Amy, walked into the bedroom, she found their son, Tyler, face down in his crib, stiff and cold. She screamed, and Ron immediately told her to dial 911. When the doctors examined the baby, they said it was SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. They buried Tyler two days later. Hours after the funeral, Amy sat in the living room and she sobbed. She was racked with guilty thinking. She thought over and over how she should have checked on the baby more often during the night. The night before Father's Day, she had come home. She was exhausted as she remembered the events. Ron had already put the baby to bed and she immediately went to sleep. But now she's sitting on the couch and she's weeping, just replaying what she could have done different. Then her husband Ron comes and sits down beside her and he tells her an unbelievable story. He explained that while that precious little seven-month-old baby boy was playing with his feet in the crib, Ron wrapped their son's head in plastic wrap, sat down and ate dinner, brushed his teeth, and came back just in time to see his little boy take his last breath. He removed the wrap, turned the baby into his stomach, switched off the light, and went to bed. He would always be the first one to go in and wake Tyler up. But that morning was Father's Day, and, and so he asked his wife Amy to do it, because he purposely wanted her to be the one to discover the body. With a look of horror and shock, his wife is sitting there trembling as she's hearing this, and she asked why. And his response was, now we are even. She said, even for what? Ron then told her he had never forgiven her for not cutting an ocean cruise trip short with her parents to come home and comfort him when his father had died. He told her it was at that point he decided to marry her, have a child with her, and then kill the child. So what was it that left was left behind in this wake of a horrific disaster. What we see is the wreckage and the carnage of a dead seven-month-old boy, a broken marriage, a shattered wife and mother, and a 49-year prison sentence for a husband and father. But what was the cause? And I want to give you that tonight in one word, bitterness, bitterness. 
we are in a series of sorts about feelings, negative feelings, feelings that can wreck a marriage, ruin a life, and remove all of our joy and happiness. Anger and bitterness are closely related. They're next of kin, but they're not twins. Let me give you the major differences between anger and bitterness. Anger leaves quickly. Bitterness lingers indefinitely. Most of the time you can count to ten and get past your anger, but you can count to a million and never get past your bitterness. Anger is sometimes good. Bitterness never is. It is a normal emotion and can be good if, it, if anger is used the right way at the right time. And especially in the right place and in the right person. Anger can produce good results. You can be angry and sin not. Bitterness, however, provides no value at all. We can control anger, but bitterness always controls us. Anger may control you temporarily, but bitterness will consume you totally. Anger is about the present. Bitterness is about the past. Anger only takes up today. Bitterness takes up your past, your present, and your future. Anger is above ground. Bitterness is underground. Now what is bitterness? Bitterness is harbored hurt that is hidden in the heart. It is harbored hurt hidden in the heart. Of all the emotions that we've covered, we've looked at a couple and that we will cover, I believe this one may be the most dangerous of all. I fear bitterness in my life more than anything else. Why? Because bitterness is an acid that destroys its very own container. I know that I'm speaking to people perhaps who are in bondage to the master of bitterness. Maybe you're bitter toward God because of a tragedy that happened in your life and God did not prevent it. Perhaps you're bitter towards a spouse who left you for another person and you, made a, you, you became a single parent raising children on your own. Maybe you're bitter toward a company that fired you with no severance, although you served them faithfully for many years. Maybe you're bitter toward someone who physically or sexually abused you and they never admitted to it and will never be brought to justice. Maybe you're bitter toward a father that never gave you the approval or a mother that never affirmed her love for you. Maybe you're bitter toward a church because of a bad experience you had. In the New Testament book called Hebrews, in the 12th chapter, there's some very strong warning about bitterness, a harbored hurt hidden in the heart. But not only is there strong warning, but there is also some great wisdom on how to deal with bitterness. Let's stand together if we can, please, and let's look at Hebrews 12. We're going to read two verses, verse 14 and 15, very familiar, if you're familiar with this chapter, very familiar verses, verse 14 and 15. Notice what it says, verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness 
without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fell of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Preaching tonight on the matter of conquering bitterness. Conquering bitterness. If you find yourself bitter right now, there is hope that you can be better later. How to go from being bitter to better. Let's see what God says. Thank you. Please be seated. He tells us in verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fell of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. First of all, let me give you three things. First of all, discover the root of bitterness. You need to discover the root of bitterness. It's interesting to me that the author describes bitterness as a root. A root is something that's beneath the surface. You can see the trunk of a tree, the branches of a tree, the leaves of a tree, and the fruit of the tree, but you can't see the roots all the time unless they start emerging. But the roots are down. Many remember perhaps the tree in our yard that fell and got struck by lightning. No, it didn't get struck by lightning. It got blown over by the wind. A very tall pine tree. And what we couldn't see until it had fallen over is that the roots, the root system was broad, but it didn't go deep. We wouldn't have known that on the outside because it was part of the root system. A root is invisible to the eye, but it is just as real as the trunk of the tree. A root, even though it's not very far from the surface, stretches deep into the soil. Bitterness is also just like that. It is never far from the surface of your lips, of your thoughts, of your feelings, but it reaches deep into the soil of your heart. Just like any root has a seed in the soil, so does bitterness. Where does the root of bitterness come from? Remember, bitterness is harbored hurt in the heart. The seed of bitterness is the hurt. It's the soil of bitterness is the heart. The seed is the hurt and the soil of bitterness is the heart. You're not going to get through life without somebody hurting you. You're not going to get through life without somebody hurting you at church, at home, um, at work, in society, driving through Atlanta traffic. You're, you're not going to get through life without hurt, whether it's minor or temporary or so non-consequential that we either deal with the hurt or we just forget about it altogether. But a bitter person doesn't do that. In other words, they don't just get over it. They don't just forget about it. A person that is bitter is bitter because they don't deal with their hurt the Bible way or they simply cannot forget about it. When a person is bitter, they take that hurt and they allow it to plant itself in the heart and grow roots. But even worse is that a bitter person fertilizes it. They cultivate it. They feed it. They water it and begins, they begin to dwell on that. And when that happens, what was a root then brings forth the fruit of bitterness. The person becomes negative, critical, judgmental. 
And they even begin to look for faults in the person that hurt them to make them even more bitter, to justify their bitterness. They have no joy. I've never met a joy-filled, bitter person. What is so interesting about bitterness is it is a root that you cannot see, but it always bears fruit that you will see. Bitterness will find its root in your heart, but it will bear its fruit in your life. That's why so many people deal with issues like uh, hair-triggered tempers, impatience, depression, and other kinds of uh, bad spirit, and even physical ailment. They'll go to the doctors, they'll go to therapists, but they never ever solve the problem because they're dealing with symptoms and not the real problem. The problem is you've, you've got to literally get to the root of the problem. You've got to go to the heart of your bitterness because bitterness is always the problem of the heart. Years ago in a tiny remote village in a remote part of Africa, children and adults began to get sick and overcome with nausea. <clears throat> Several weeks went by and the sickness spread and people started to die. When the disease got back to the main city in that area, they sent in experts to try and figure out what was causing the problem. They soon discovered that the water was contaminated. The village got its water supply from a mountain stream that was fed from a spring, so the experts decided to go upstream and try to find the source of the pollution. They finally came to the mouth of the stream, but on the surface they didn't find anything wrong at all. They hired some divers to go underneath the surface to get to the opening of the spring to see what was going on. What the, what the divers did discover literally shocked everybody. A large mother pig and her baby piglets were wedged right at the opening of the spring. Evidently, they'd fallen in, drowned, and somehow got stuck there. And all of that clear, pure mountain spring water is being contaminated as it flowed past the decomposing remains of those dead pigs. When they extricated those dead pigs, the water began to flow clean and pure once again and, and the disease disappeared. See, the problem was not on the surface of the water or even in the water. It was at the spring where the water came out and it was buried beneath what people could see from the surface, that was the root of the problem. Very few bitter people will ever admit that they're bitter. I've made it a, a study. I've made it a, a point of, of dealing with this because in dealing with people's hearts, I'm not a heart surgeon, I'm, I'm involved in that which is far more serious than somebody surgically uh, working on a person's heart and dealing with the spiritual nature that, that causes a person to either spend an eternity in heaven or an eternity in hell. And if they're a child of God and their heart's not right, they're going to live as miserable as those who are heading to hell. And so I ask often, when we see the fruit and yet someone is unwilling to acknowledge the root. I cannot tell you the number of times I've dealt with bitter people who would say something like, I'd swear on a stack of Bibles I'm not bitter. You couldn't see the root of it, but you sure could see the fruit in their life. Let me encourage you tonight, if you want to go from bitter to better, and you want to conquer this 
harboring of hurt in your heart, you must uncover the root of bitterness in your life. You're one decision away from destruction. You're also one decision away from deliverance. The choice is yours tonight, number two. We must discern the result of bitterness. We must discern the result of bitterness. Not only must we uncover and discover the root, but we must discern what is the result of bitterness. You see, a bitter root is going to shock you, but it always bears bitter fruit. It always does. If that root is allowed to grow up, it will cause trouble and defile many. How do you know? Because God said so. It will grow and it will defile many. See, you cannot be bitter without it affecting your family. I cannot be bitter without it affecting my wife and my kids, and they may not be able to put a name to it. I cannot be bitter without it affecting Canaan Baptist Church. You see, if you're bitter, everywhere you go, your bitterness will go with you, and it will cause you trouble. You say, I'm the exception. No, you're just a moron. I wouldn't tell God he's wrong and you're right. Bitterness will affect every part of you. It will affect you, what's our thing? On the inside out. That's what bitterness does. It will affect your relationship with God. It will affect your relationship with others. And it will even affect you. Let me just mention a few ways. Bitterness will affect you mentally. It will affect you mentally. As the root of bitterness grows, it takes up more and more of the soil of your heart. It's like spiritual kudzu. Is there anybody who likes kudzu? I mean, we were talking about it. We were driving to Gainesville for a doctor's appointment. We were looking at this kudzu, and it's like, whoever invented this? And, and for what reason? I mean, it just overtakes practically anything. And, and, and bitterness will do the same. It takes over your mind. When you are bitter towards someone, you will carry a mental picture of that person around with you everywhere you go. You think about them more than you should and in ways in which you should not. You'll dream about how you can hurt them or how you wish they could be hurt. You will spend waking moments thinking of how you can get even with them. When you've got an internal conflict because of an external conflict you've had with somebody else, it will affect you psychologically until you resolve it. There's even a term for this. It's the Zygernick effect. I'll spell it if you want to write it down. It's Z-E-I-G-A-R-N-I-K. Z-E-I-G-A-R-N-I-K. And it refers to the brain's process of keeping unresolved issues under active status. Well, that's what psychology came up with, God came up with. It's bitterness. Once a task is successfully completed, the brain will file it into a special memory and it's no longer given priority attention. But when you have a situation that hasn't been resolved biblically, your brain will keep that on active file until a solution is found, although God has already prescribed it. Here's an example. 
You ever seen a person that you know, but you just couldn't remember their name and then an hour or two later that name comes back to you? Well, that is because your brain wouldn't let it go. Bitterness has the same effect. Your brain or your mind will not let it go until that bitterness is resolved. It will not only affect you mentally, but it will affect you emotionally. Doctors now know that bitterness acts like a depressant. You know, in all my years, I've never met a happy, bitter person. Never. Have you? No, I'd like to know what they were smoking if you do know of someone that was, but it's not because of their bitterness. It would have been in spite of it, but bitter people are not happy people. There's no joy there because happiness has to do with circumstances. So there can be moments of happiness, but there's absolutely no joy. You cannot be bitter and have joy. You cannot be bitter and be a joy-filled person because joy is contingent upon your relationship to the Lord. And you're bitter because you're harboring that which God said to never harbor. You said, but you don't recognize that what was done was wrong. Do you think that anybody ever did anything wrong to Jesus? And you'll never find him being bitter. In fact, Hebrews 12, this passage, it, it, it sets us up and tells us about Jesus being hurt. And Jesus being reviled. And Jesus uh, experiencing the contention of sinners. But he went to the cross because of the joy that was set before him. See, bitter people are critical, negative, fault-finding. And they have a victim mentality. I've even had bitter people say in church, you should just be thankful I'm even in church. Oh, oh, should I? Should God thank you for darkening the door of the church house? Is that the way it should be? See, when people are bitter, they become victims. A surefire mark of a bitter person is they play what I call the blame and shame game. It doesn't matter what has happened to them, it's always somebody else's fault. Never do they see their contribution or their part of it, and never do they see the sovereignty of God in it either. It doesn't matter what else has happened to them, it's all but always somebody else's fault. They're never responsible for anything. They're always the innocent party. They never have anything to apologize for. They think everyone has done them harm. Everybody's against me. Everybody has done me wrong. Well, when did they do that? Well, back when I was in kindergarten. And I'm telling you, this is the way conversations have gone in my office. You're talking about something 20 years ago? Well, you don't know what happened when, when I, w I went to school camp or church camp, you don't know what happened I, when I was in the youth group. How old are you now? I'm 40, and you're still going back to then? I'm going to tell you, God's grace is sufficient. You need to get some of it. They think everyone is out to get them or has done something to harm them. That is why bitterness is so dangerous. Bitterness will cause you to burn down your house just to kill a rat. It'll turn you into an emotional suicide bomber. You want to hurt others, but you wind up killing yourself. My favorite definition of bitterness is a bitter person is someone who drinks poison but hopes that the other person dies. Bitterness will not only affect you mentally and emotionally, but it will affect you physically. 
You know that your body was never created to nourish bitterness? Your back was never built to carry grudges. Doctors now know that there are over 50 diseases ranging from ulcers to high blood pressures that can be caused by bitterness. An article in the New York Times declared, and I'll give you this quote, researchers have gathered a wealth of data largely suggesting that chronic anger is so damaging to the body that it ranks with or even exceeds cigarette smoking, obesity, and a high fat diet as powerful risk factors for early death. End of quote. Also in a study at the University of Michigan, a group of women were tested to determine which ones were harboring long-term bitterness. They tracked down those women for 18 years, and the outcome was amazing. Women with suppressed anger and bitterness were three times more likely to have died during the study than those who did not have bitter hostility. Two very famous clinical doctors, Frank and Minerth and Paul Minor, if I'm pronouncing Frank's name right, Frank and Paul, they researched 10,000 patients who were burned out. They either quit their job or just given up on life itself, these uh, 10,000 patients. They diagnosed the top three reasons, and the results to me are still staggering and amazing. The number one reason out of 10,000 that were diagnosed and researched and studied, the number one reason people burned out was not stress, nor was it overwork, but the one cause of physical and emotional burnout was bitterness. Being unwilling to forgive and let go of a grudge was the dominant cause of burnout. Bitterness will also affect you in another way, and that is spiritually. In verses 14 and 15, we see, starting verse 14, follow peace with most men. No, all men. And holiness. There's your inside inner man. And it says, without which no man shall see the Lord. That's why God can show up, meet with us in church, and some people experience transformation in one service, and other people sit, and all they can see is, that service was long. That song was flat. That was boring. Why? Because bitter people, they don't see the Lord. They miss out on God. Oh, you ask them to step in, teach a lesson. They can teach a children's lesson. They can lead children in, Jesus loves me, this I know. But they've not experienced God, and you never will until there is this inward transformation setting you free from bitterness. See, inwardly, there's nothing but turmoil. There's going to be tension with you and other people. But upwardly, between you and God, there's trouble between you and God. You'll not find peace. You'll not find joy. You won't even recognize happiness to be a staying power within your life. Life, Whether you look in the mirror or outside the window or up to the sky, you're just going to find that everything is, is dull, it's dark and Bitterness is a spiritual heartburn that you will carry with you everywhere you go. It won't just be that you'll be affected, 
But Hebrews 12, 15 tells us that the root of bitterness, it will grow up, it will cause you trouble, and it's going to defile many. Bitterness never, it never hurts just one person. I've seen marriages destroyed by bitterness. I've seen friendships ruined by bitterness. I've seen lives wasted by bitterness. If you're ever going to defeat this monster that destroys everything in its path, not only must you uncover it, discover the root, but you also must understand it and discern the results of bitterness. But let me give you the third, and here's the key to this. If you're following God's diagnosis and you're agreeing with the word of God and the spirit of God, and you say, I want to go from bitter to better than number three, dig it out. Dig out and remove all bitterness. You have to dig out and remove all bitterness. That's why Proverbs 28, 13 is so vital. He that covereth this sin shall not prosper, but whoso um, confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. I heard someone describe bitterness as a prison. They pointed out that when you put somebody in the jail cell of your bitterness, you are stuck guarding the door. What you need to understand is this. The only way to get free of bitterness is to free the person that you're bitter toward, and then you'll be free yourself. Otherwise, you're going to imprison somebody that you're bitter towards, and you're going to put them in the jail cell of your bitterness, but you're stuck having to keep the jail. If you refuse to open the jail door of your bitterness and let your prisoner out, you're really the one that's serving time. You're the one who is suffering. Do you know who is paying for your bitterness? You know the answer. You are. You're the one who loses sleep. You're the one who's developed ulcers. You're the one who can't enjoy life because you live under the searing heat of bitterness every day. You're the one who's miserable. You're the one thinking about the person and they aren't giving you a thought at all. Hebrews 12, 14 again of our text. Follow peace with all men in holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. It, it is peace with all men and being right with God. That's the key. Well, to quote the theologian Barney Fife, you've got to nip it in the bud. But to do that, you've got to remember bitterness is a root. It's underground. That means you've got to go after it. You've got to find it. You've got to dig it up. And you've got to cast it aside. That is why the only cure for bitterness is a spiritual root canal. How many have had a root canal? Would you raise your hand? Not pleasant, is it? <laughs> Larry's nose is scrunched up there. It's not pleasant. But it is necessary. A root canal is a procedure that has to be done in order to save a tooth. It's either been decayed or infected. 
The dentist goes inside of that tooth, removes that nerve and pulp from that tooth, cleanses the tooth completely on the inside, removing the decay and the infection. Then he will seal that tooth so the infection can never return. You know what the only alternative to the root canal would be? Lose the tooth. So how is that done spiritually? The first way to deal with your bitterness is forget it. You have to take whatever planted that root of bitterness in your heart, you've got to bury it. Ephesians 4 and verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away. I mean, just forget it. Just put it all away. That, that word put away literally means to dispose of, to bury. You've got to get to that part. You get, this matter, uh, it's what I call the, the get even feeling. When you have the get even feeling, you're not going to get bitterness out of your heart. You've got to forget that wrong that's been done. I'm not even talking about it in a, in a mental sense, but I'm talking about in your whole life and approach God is greater. God is sovereign. The reason that God blessed Joseph is not because Joseph avoided harm or wrongdoing towards him. It's just that he didn't get bitter. He didn't harbor the hurt in his heart. He never had, even when he saw his brothers many years later, he didn't have the get even feeling. You've got to get that get even feeling out, disposed of. You've got to bury that root of bitterness in an unmarked grave and forget where you buried it. The second thing you need to do is forgive. You've got to work at forgetting this thing, getting it. And the word forget is not a good word, just keeping it with that, that alliteration, which I purpose not to do because I, I lose the, the actual message sometimes to try to keep it. But I'm trying to keep it succinct in our mind. Forget it in the sense of just dispose of it. Dig it out and bury it, but then forgive. Doctors and psychiatrists now know the only cure for the cancer of bitterness is the chemotherapy of forgiveness. Someone once defined forgiveness as giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. It's giving it up. You say, I can't do that. Let me go back to Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What is he saying? Paul says, go back to the cross of Christ at Calvary and remember how the grace of God has forgiven you, forgiven you. You then are not willing to forgive others, but you wanted God to forgive you. Somehow you thought you're more special. And that's why God forgave you and those that you're harboring bitterness against. They've done more to hurt you than your sin did in putting Jesus on the cross. We need a theological awakening is what we need. You'll never forgive someone for what they've done to you until you both realize and experience how God has forgiven you for what you have done to him. Looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. Someone who has experienced the grace of God and lives in the grace of God has the power to forgive others by the grace of God. 
You've got to get rid of that get even feeling. Like what Brother Comfort taught us, and Dr. Childs has heard it so many times as well, but in Dr. Comfort's Bible, he said he, would, he wrote those words, no attack, no defense. He has nothing to defend because he's not on the bandwagon to attack anybody. He doesn't have this get even feeling. We can all relate to what happened to the soldier in Afghanistan. He was serving his country, but he received a Dear John letter from a girl that he was going to marry. But she conveniently found someone else, and he was devastated. To add insult to injury, this is what his girlfriend wrote him. She said, please return my favorite picture of myself, because I would like to use that photograph for my engagement picture in the county newspaper. Well, he was hot. And he automatically began to think of how he could get even. Well, his buddies came to his defense, and when it came, came out in his platoon of what had happened, they went throughout the barracks, and they all collected pictures of all the other soldiers' girlfriends, and they filled an entire shoebox. The soldier then mailed the photos to his ex-girlfriend with this note. Please find your enclosed picture and return the rest. For the life of me, I can't remember which one you were. I didn't want to lose us on that, but I just thought we've all been there. But the truth of the matter is, the truth is, we never get even. You think about the father at the beginning of the story who killed his own seven-month-old to get back at his wife over something so insignificant compared to the overall big picture. And yet the father's the one that's going to pay the greater price. I'm not talking about just time in prison, but trapped, life ruined, eaten up with bitterness. When you try to get even, you just pull yourself down to the level of the person that hurt you to begin with, if it was intentional and they're hurt towards you. You can forgive, however, by the grace, the enabling power of God. So the bottom line is, listen, bottom line is, you can be full of bitterness and empty of Jesus. Or you can be full of Jesus and empty of bitterness. But you cannot be both. Being bitter is no way to live and being bitter is no way to die. But you can go from bitter to better by the grace of Almighty God. And I say it's best to do it as quickly as possible. Let's stand together, please.